You're listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church of Van Walsteen. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Good morning. Good to see you today. Good to be back. Uh, you don't want to miss too many Sundays around here or you'll fall behind trying to meet new people. Uh, just what a blessing to see new faces and meet new friends every week. Uh, so glad to be back. Uh, we just sang, My Heart Needs a Surgeon. Turns out my appendix needed a surgeon. Um, yeah, Thursday a week ago, I uh, had a lunch meeting in Sherman, and within a couple hours was fully convinced I had a bad case of food poisoning. Uh, turns out uh, it was not food poisoning, it was uh, appendicitis, and so... Uh, by the grace of God, we made it to the ER in time before that thing ruptured, but uh, I was told pretty quickly after they saw my scans, you got to get that out now. So we did, and so uh, I kind of felt like something's missing this morning, um, but no, <laughs> uh, it's good to be here. Good to see. I- I'm glad it feels like fall today, right? Like several guys walked in today, you know, like we're in full lumberjack mode now. Like plaid is clearly in style. I'm, it's good to see. When you're my age, you just show up think, I just hope I don't look like an idiot, you know? Um, but no, it's, uh, this is my, you know, middle-aged preacher guy, fall collection. That's what this is. Uh, so anyway, um, yeah, but it's, it's, it's good to be back. I so appreciate Jace jumping in, uh, coming in from the bullpen, uh, kind of at, uh, the last minute there and very capably filling the pulpit, uh, in my absence last week. Thank you for your prayers and thank you for, uh, your many expressions of care and concern and, meals that were brought and all those things. You've just been so gracious, and so thank you uh, for all of that. We're going to be in John chapter 8 this morning once again, returning to John's gospel chapter 8. We've been waking, making our way through John's gospel now for uh, much of the year. We took a little break in the summer, but uh, now back in John chapter 8. Uh, today we're going to be in verses 39 through 47. Since I became a father 32 years ago now, um, questions about fatherhood have often occupied my thoughts and my prayers. Uh, How much of an influence do I have on my children? Can I shape the way they think, what they value, so that they will uh, follow the Lord? Questions like, why does my sin hurt them so much? Can God's grace cover over and heal the hurt that I may have caused? You know, as fathers, most of us, um, as parents, really, we would love to uh, pass on the good in us to our children, if there is any, uh, and shield them from the bad. Uh, Sadly, that's not how it works. Uh, Thankfully, salvation is not dependent on biological fatherhood. Uh, We all know that children uh, often imitate what they see in their fathers, um, but that's not the same thing as saying that all children will end up just like their fathers. Although children are certainly deeply influenced, uh, profoundly shaped uh, by their fathers. In today's passage, Jesus is challenging deep cultural assumptions about earthly fatherhood. And what he's doing is he's pointing us to consider some deep and powerful, really theological truths about spiritual fatherhood. 
So here in John chapter 8, I want us to actually get a running start. So I'm going to back up a little bit before uh, the text that you'll see upon the screen. We're going to be looking at verses 39 through 47. But since it's been a couple of weeks, I want us to, I'm going to back up to verse number 34 there in John chapter 8 where it says this, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. So it's in that context that we find these next words. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works that your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So in these few short verses, there's a lot of fatherhood language, a lot of parental type language. And I want us to kind of unpack this as we typically do, going kind of verse by verse. Notice, first of all, this language of Father Abraham. Uh, those of you who grew up in church, or p- particularly if you went to children's church, uh, you can remember singing that song, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. If you ever worked in children's church, you probably used that song to kill like 10 or 15 minutes at the end of the time, right? Because you could like sing that song forever, it seemed like, you know, whatever next thing. Yeah, and so uh, <laughs> that's what we see here in verses 39 through 41. Remember, at the end of the last week's passage, or a couple of weeks ago, Jesus was insinuating something sinister about the real father of his Jewish opponents. When he said, I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, I know about your ethnicity, I I get that, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, in most of your Bibles that's a capital F, and you do what you have heard from your father, which is not a capital F. Okay, so he acknowledges their biological descent from Abraham, but then he hints that their real influence comes from a very different place, from a very different father. And, of course, they reject immediately Jesus' insinuation by boldly asserting, as we've seen in our text here, Abraham is our father. Jesus then says to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Remember, it was said of Abraham, he believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. So he's saying, you're not doing that. Uh, And so he repeats the insinuation of a different father again when he says, you are doing the works that your father did. Now, what is happening below the surface of this exchange? 
And we always want to consider the cultural context in which we find ourselves. And so the Jewish people had come to believe that they were blessed by God simply because of Abraham. Because of their ethnicity, we might say, the, the man of God, the, the patriarch, the father of the faith. And, and, and through Abraham's faith and his faithfulness, all his rightful descendants were blessed by God. And, and as a result, then given salvation and protection. The only way to lose this was to reject Abraham's fatherhood by apostasy or abandonment of the Jewish people. And you may not realize this, but many Jewish people still believe this today. In fact, most Jewish people in Israel, many, are not religious, do not keep kosher, do not worship in synagogue. And yet at the same time, still believe they are God's people and special because, simply because of Abraham. But it's not just Jewish people that can do this. We Americans are pretty good at doing the same thing sometimes. We think we are somehow uh, especially blessed or we're in a special place of significance in God's eyes simply because we were born in the good old United States of America. And while that is an incredible blessing and something that we should be certainly thankful for, the fact that we were born in the United States of America, a country that certainly we could argue is founded on biblical principles and Judeo-Christian values and all those things, that does not make you a believer, does not make you a child of God. It's like the person that you might talk to in the coffee shop and you begin a gospel conversation and they'll say things like, well, I've just kind of always been a Christian. I grew up in a Christian home. As if because you were born into this home that, that, that maybe went to church on Sundays or had you know, religious affiliation or whatever, that automatically makes you a believer. And that's just not the way that the gospel works. So Jesus is, is, is saying essentially the same thing to these Jewish leaders. He's saying, look, guys, it's not about your ethnicity. That's not the issue here. Uh, and so we've got to be very careful. There's a fine line that separates a deep appreciation for our heritage and a sense of entitlement based on that heritage. But then I want you to notice that we find this language of Father God. Father God, that's not uncommon to us. In fact, many times when we pray, we say, Father God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for our time to gather here and worship this morning. That's uh, one of the things that we say. Why, why do we do that? Where does that come from? So remember that the people who are speaking with Jesus here are religious Jews, right? Okay, they're not content to rest on their ethnic heritage. And so they try to get spiritual. And what do they say? We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. You say, wait a minute, what is going on here? Here's what, here's what we're seeing. We're seeing one of the favorite tactics of religious people. Okay, that is establishing their self-righteousness by slinging mud at others. Because, see, when you're depending upon self-righteousness, you are consistently and constantly comparing yourself to other people. That becomes the standard. I'm better than so-and-so. I'm not as bad as that person, but I'm better than you know, that kind of thing. So that's essentially what they're doing here. Religious people can be so quick to deal in the dirt, we might say. Accusation, innuendo, rumor, gossip, without any real basis in fact. And so they do this to make themselves feel better about themselves and to look better in the eyes of others. The innuendo here is pretty clear to us, I think. Where they say, we were not born of sexual immorality. What they're doing is they're throwing shade on Jesus' parentage. There's already some confusion about, okay, who exactly is his father? Okay, this whole concept and idea of a virgin birth. Remember, this was like 
This was mind-blowing, as you can imagine. And so, uh, as we said a few weeks ago, this would have been like Jerry Springer material, okay, back in, in, that, in that day. It would have been like, what, what is going on here? Who really is the father? And that kind of thing. And so, um, it, it, the, the innuendo is really thick. Jesus is the one with the shady fatherhood to them. That's what they're saying. And so, to lay it on thick, as religious people tend to do, they follow up with their innuendo with this pompous, self-righteous declaration We have one father, even God. So being a religious person doesn't make you a child of God. You see, in the context of John's gospel, John has already told us how we can become children of God. It's really very clear. And what matters and what doesn't matter in becoming a child of God. We found that in in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, where it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, this is not about your ethnicity, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We're talking about being born of God. So whenever we begin to think that we are children of God because of who we are in and of ourselves or where we've come from or because of something that we ourselves have done, we are dangerously far from the truth of the gospel and we're standing on very shaky ground. If you're sitting this morning and your thought is, but pastor, I'm, I'm just a basically pretty good person. So my hope of heaven is pretty much tied to that. You're on really shaky ground. That's an anti-gospel. To think that because I'm a good person or I've done good things or I attend church or I've been baptized or any number of things, those things are not bad things. But if that's what you're depending on, you're much like these religious Jews who are depending on all these external things. So whenever we begin to think that we're children of God because of something we've done, we've missed the point. Our heritage, our parentage, our efforts, our religious duties, our knowledge, our morality, none of this qualifies us to call God our Father. Now, some of this may be the fruit of being a child of God, certainly, but none of it can alone be the root cause. And so to the extent that we may be good or have anything good in us, it is because God has loved us and made us his own. God has made us his own, not because of anything he saw in us, it's not as if on November the 24th, 1974, at the first Free Will Baptist Church in Garland, Texas, God looked down on Mike Lovely and said, you're pretty special, buddy. I think I'll save you. No, I, I was a sinner in need of a savior. He <laughs> said, at, at eight? Yeah, at eight. I, I was what the Bible calls lost, spiritually dead. And it wasn't until I was made alive by the Spirit of God that I could truly be a child of God. And so that's, that's what we're seeing here. And so, I mean, you think about how this works just in, in, in natural life, biologically, fatherhood, those kinds of things. Um, it, you, you know, you don't, we can't make our father our father by our own efforts. It, it doesn't work that way. They become our fathers uh, before we do anything or before we say anything about it. And yet, once our fathers have become our fathers, the mark that they leave on us is deep and indelible. And the same thing is true spiritually. Notice how Jesus challenges their fatherhood claims. If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. If God were your father, you would would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. 
I'm the sent one. Remember, we've seen that language over and over again. Sent by God, sent by God, on a mission, on a mission, right? So the root shows itself in the fruit. You you ever meet someone, and maybe you've known them for a while, okay? And maybe you're not just especially close to them, but you know them well enough to know about kind of like how they live, right? I mean, you know enough about them to know. And then, then maybe one day it's revealed to you, maybe they profess to you that they're a follower of Jesus, and you're almost like, wait, what? Did I hear that right? You ever, you ever been around someone like that? You're just like, no way. Like, you got to be kidding me, right? Like, I mean, you don't want to say that, but that's what you're thinking in your mind. Because it's like what you've witnessed, what you've seen, the fruit that you've observed in their life would suggest anything but that. Would suggest anything but that. So the root shows itself in the fruit. And if they want to claim the fatherhood of Abraham, they should demonstrate the faith of Abraham. Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. These offspring of Abraham, they're not placing their faith in the word of God. They're actually attacking him. And if they want to claim God as their father, they cannot reject the one who came from God and is standing before them because of the will of God. If they reject the one who speaks the truth from God, then they are not true children of Abraham. They reject the one who was sent from God himself. They are not true children of God. But then the conversation turns in a really significant way, right? This is dialogue. Jesus and these religious, Jewish religious leaders. You see this language of your father, the devil. Now, I would just tell you that this section of scripture has been grossly misinterpreted, grossly misapplied, okay? Some have even used this section of scripture to justify outright genocide. Okay, you need to understand that. Okay, think Holocaust. Think, I mean, like, some people have actually appealed to a text like this, okay? That's not what's going on here. So let's, let's dig in a little deeper and really understand what's happening here. Jesus insists that their fruit shows a very different parentage, okay? Why do you not understand what I say? Remember, anytime Jesus asks a question, it's not because he lacks knowledge, okay? I ask a lot of questions because I just don't know, right? That's not, it's not that way with Jesus. Jesus is not lacking knowledge in any way. But he does ask a lot of very, very important questions. So he says, why do you not understand what I say? And he answers his own question. He says, it is because you cannot hear my, bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, verse 44. And your will is to do your father's desires. Let me describe this father of yours. He was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. It is his very nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. They cannot bear to hear Jesus' words. So that's why they dispute, they argue, they conspire, they plot, they accuse, but they they will not hear. And they will not understand. Why? Jesus says it's because they cannot bear to hear his word because their origin and their fatherhood is very different from what they've been claiming. The Apostle Paul addresses this. In 1 Corinthians, when he writes to the church at Corinth, and he says, the natural person. Now, when you see that language, he's talking about the unsaved. Okay, essentially is what he's saying there. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, you have to have your spiritual eyes opened 
by the grace of God, by the spirit of God, to be able to understand these things. And then in 2 Corinthians, as he continued to write to the church at Corinth, he says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Why do some people just not get it? Why don't they see the truth so clearly revealed in Jesus? It's one of the reasons, again, that I would often refer to the Pharisees of Jesus' day as people who just consistently missed the point. He's right in front of you. The Messiah that you've been longing for and looking for, he's here. That's what Jesus himself said. I'm here. I'm here. And yet you don't see it. You don't get it. Why is that? Why are their hearts so hard? Their ears so closed to him? Paul says it's because they're merely natural people who cannot accept the things of the Spirit of God. He says it's because their minds have been blinded by Satan to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And then he puts it in even stronger terms. He says it's because their true father is the devil. So they do as their father does. Jesus isn't the first one to call these religious leaders devil's children. Remember, John the Baptist called them a brood of vipers, meaning the the, the offspring of snakes, which is essentially saying you're the children of the devil. So the evidence that the devil is their true father is seen in two key areas, and it makes it clear here in the text, murder and lying. Murder and lying. Jesus says the devil was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Both truth and life belong to God. I remember Jesus himself said, and we'll see it later here in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the very personification of that. And so uh, both truth and life belong to God, come from God and God alone. The devil hates God, opposes God, and so he opposes and hates the truth, for God is truth. He hates and opposes life, especially human life, because people are made in the image of God. So since Jesus was and is the perfect image of God, unfallen, untarnished humanity, brilliantly reflecting the very glory of God, the devil hates Jesus most of all. So think about how these Jewish leaders have been showing themselves to be the children of the devil. Why would Jesus say that? Seems like kind of an insensitive thing to say, right? Well, they've twisted the words of Jesus and have sought to distort the truth of what he has taught. This is exactly what the serpent did in the garden. Has God really said? They've sought to trap Jesus and ensnare him, just like Satan did in the garden. They've plotted to destroy Jesus, to remove him from being an obstacle to their desires, their aspirations to dominate God's people. It's exactly what Satan did in the garden. So I wonder, have we been guilty of this? Have we minimized? Have we obscured? Have we denied? Have we glossed over? Have we sought to overturn perhaps parts of the Bible that we don't especially like, aspects of God's rule that we don't welcome, revealed truth that maybe we would rather suppress? Consider whether any of this sounds familiar to you. Maybe you've wrestled with some of these thoughts. Are we really as sinful as the Bible says we are? I mean, we're not that bad, right? 
Is God really as sovereign and supreme as the Bible says he is? Or is he in some way subject to our wills, our whims, our desires, our plans? This is what some would call an open theism that would say that it's like we're in a chess match with God. And so God's, uh, God's direction, God's plans, God's next move, for example, is dependent on our move. Is Jesus really the only way of salvation? I mean, that seems a bit narrow, right? Seems kind of exclusive. Do we have to obey, obey Jesus if we say we love him? Can't we just say we love him, worship him in church on Sunday, and then kind of live like we want to? Do I really have to love my wife as Christ loved the church? I mean, like sacrificially, really? Are wives really called to respect their husbands? Not all truth suppression looks the same. If you're a good, religious, church-going, professing Christian, you probably wouldn't openly deny the truth of God's word. So sometimes we can engage in speculation. What if, or suppose someone... See, all of us were at one time, just in case you're kind of like I tend to be many times, I can go through sections of scripture like this and I can can look down my, you know, religious, pious nose at at the Pharisees of Jesus' day and go, you know. Listen to this. Paul, again, writing to the Ephesians, says, We all once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And so we can all remember too easily fall back into the influence, the language, the actions of our former way of life, of our former father. And we need to be aware of these tendencies. And we need to strive by God's grace to be better imitators of our heavenly father. Our old nature may be dethroned by the grace of God, but it still likes to rear its ugly head and whisper its lies to us. Then I want us to notice as we close out the text, verses 45 through 47, the father of faith in the word. So Jesus' final condemnation of his opponents in today's passage, it's cutting and it's convicting. But it also holds a gem of encouragement for us. It's where he says, but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin, he says. If I tell you the truth, you you do not believe me. And then verse 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. This is where we need to back up for just a second and and give some brief consideration to the cultural context in, in which this comes. Okay, Remember, a basic principle of Bible interpretation is every scripture has one fundamental basic primary interpretation. Who wrote it, to whom was it written, and what is the context in which it was written, essentially? There are many applications, there are some prophetic implications, a number of other things to consider in that, certainly. But it can't mean something to us that it did not mean to them. And so what is happening culturally right here in this moment that we're looking at today? Much of the dialogue in this section of John's gospel turns on the rules of testimony in the Jewish culture of Jesus' day. Okay, so the testimony, you've got to, you've got to understand this. The testimony, and this is horrific to think about to us, I hope, But the testimony of women and children and shepherds and Samaritans was considered absolutely worthless in legal proceedings. You would never see any of those individuals who fall in those categories brought as credible witnesses in a legal proceeding. That's the culture into which Jesus is speaking these words. Okay, why is that important? Because Jesus 
was an adult Jewish male. Say, okay. And yet they were still not receiving his testimony. They were treating him as if he were culturally uh, a, a woman, a child, a shepherd, a Samaritan. But he was an adult Jewish male. And so according to to the culture of that day, in order for them to be able to reject the testimony of an adult Jewish male, they would need to be able to convict him of some grievous sin, some horrible wrongdoing. And so he issues that challenge. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Then he says, whoever is of God hears the words of God. This is the encouragement to us. Lean in for a moment here as we wrap up. Are you not sure whether you're a child of God? Well, do you hear the words of God? If you hear the words of God, that is if you believe and receive the truth of the gospel proclaimed by Jesus, recorded in scripture, you believe the word of God, hearing and receiving it as God's own revelation, then you are a child of God. It's by faith. You don't have to necessarily understand it all. I'm not suggesting that you have to be a Bible scholar or a formally trained theologian. But do you hear the words of God? It's not a mystical question this morning about hearing voices. That's not what I'm suggesting. It's tied to the plain and open testimony that Jesus gives about himself here in the Gospel of John. Remember what he said in in our first message in this series. We moved all the way to John chapter 20. That's where he gives us his purpose for writing this gospel. I write these things so that you might believe that he is the Christ. And that by believing, you may have eternal life. Do you hear the words of God? Do you believe this morning that Jesus is the bread of life, as he said in one of our recent messages, the true nourishment and sustenance for your soul? Do you believe that Jesus is the light of the world, the one true source of truth and goodness and joy, and that if you follow him, and only if you follow him, will you not walk in darkness but have the light of life? Do you believe that if you come to Jesus in faith, receiving and believing in him, then you will have the right to be called the child of God? Do you believe that Jesus will give you the Holy Spirit who will be for you like many rivers of living water, bringing refreshment to your soul and flowing from you to those around you? What I'm asking this morning is simply this. Can you agree deep in your core with these statements? I am a sinner, but Jesus is my Savior. I was born in darkness and born into a world of darkness, but Jesus is the light of the world and has brought light to my soul. I am needy and hungry and empty in and of myself, but Jesus is the one and only one who can fill me and feed me and satisfy me. If you can say yes, you're born of God and you hear the words of God. And here's what you need to do. Keep hearing the word of God. Because whoever is of God hears the words of God, as Jesus says here. It's not just a kind of test to see whether you're a child of God. It's an invitation to a new way of life. If you are of God, then hear the words of God. I want to conclude by asking an important question. This entire text, again, is filled with the language of fatherhood. What happens when God adopts us? We talked about this before. 
what happens from a theological perspective when God adopts us into his forever family? I grew up in a church years ago where we, we regularly sang the old song, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. How many of y'all remember that song, right? You will notice we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family and these folks are so dear. When I was younger, I didn't understand the theological implications of that at all. I thought of it more as like just like a feel-good kind of kumbaya song, right? Oh, it's, it's much deeper than that, y'all. No. When we say that we're a faith family, that's not just a cool thing that we say in today's culture. We believe that theologically. We believe that theologically. And I'm just going to say it maybe a way you can better understand, especially some of you are like, I need you, fam. And I think you need me. And we need each other. It's how God intends for us to live out the Christian life, is to live it out in community. Okay, that's, that's why we're not trying to build an online church. I'm glad that we have technology that allows some people, I'm sure, watching this morning. That's great. But we're not trying to build an online church. Okay, we believe that, that we're supposed to do life together. That's what this is all about. Jace did a great job of unpacking that concept last week of biblical community and what that looks like. So when God adopts us, he brings us into his family. That's amazing. And when he brings us into his family, we come under his headship in the household of God. And if we have been adopted by God and we want to be faithful children who imitate our father, then we need to spend time with him. We need to hear his words, abide in his presence, learn from him. It doesn't just happen in an hour or two on Sunday morning. It's a lifelong calling. It's our new identity. We need to see how much we need other members of the family of God, our brothers and our sisters. We need to learn from those who are more mature than we are. We need to invest in those who are younger in the Lord than we are. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. Whoever is born of God is a child of God. And if we've been given new life, a new identity, new eyes to see, new ears to hear, then let's live the new life that we have, listening to God, imitating him helping each other to listen and imitate. And as we do, we'll grow in confidence and faith and assurance and trust and security and Christ-likeness to the glory of God together. Together. I've told you all before, I don't spend a whole lot of time giving my sermon the title, right? So a couple weeks ago, I'm going, what would I call this message? And I thought, who's your daddy? Okay. But then I looked at the origins of that phrase, and it's not good, y'all, okay? It, it's not, okay? It kind of comes from a bad place, right? Okay, like, I mean, yeah, you could go down a hole to a really dark place with that and everything. It became, you know, much more common, I guess, back in the early 2000s with the Yankees and the Red Sox. Remember that? You know, Pedro Martinez was like the closer for the Red Sox and just couldn't, you know, get past the, and so they would change, who's your daddy? Who? You know, it's like, we own you, was that kind of thing. So you see it more now in, in the context of sports and all that kind of stuff. But it's a pretty important question this morning, isn't it? Who's your daddy? Who's your father? It's what Jesus was getting out here with these Jewish leaders who were leaning so heavily on their, on their ethnic connection. We're children of Abraham. Do you know that you know that you know 
that you're in a right relationship with God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ. Because the only way you can be in a right relationship with God the Father is through his son, Jesus. Jesus came, God in the flesh, lived a perfect sinless life, died a substitutionary death so that you and I as sinful human beings can be reconciled to holy God and become brothers and sisters in Christ. That's an awesome spot for an amen right there. It's amazing. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment this morning. I know we could look at this text, and for some it may be sad, a little scary. I think what makes it so sobering to me is the fact that these very religious individuals think that they're doing fine spiritually, but they've been deceived. And the same thing can be said of people in this room today. They see themselves as free men, according to verse 33. Sons of Abraham, verse 39. Children of God, verse 41. But here's what Jesus says about them. You're enslaved to sin, you're intolerant of truth, and you're the offspring of Satan. That's sobering. And to me, one of the the saddest things that could ever happen would be for a person to grow up and be a part of the, the culture that we find here in the United States of America with incredible freedoms and all the things that it brings and think that you're doing fine spiritually. But really, you're not. You continue to walk in darkness You're what the Bible describes as spiritually dead. And remember, Jesus did not come to make good people better. He came to make spiritually dead people alive. So if you're here this morning and you've never turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, can I invite you to take that step of faith today? You can leave here today. It's what the Bible describes as assurance. These things are written that you may know with assurance that you're in a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not based upon anything you've done or ever could do. It's not about you reaching a a particular level of, of righteousness in and of yourself. It's about you exchanging your sinfulness for Christ's righteousness. If you're uncertain about your relationship with God, I would love to take some time and share with you from the Word of God what it means to be in a right relationship with God, to know Him as your Heavenly Father. Must be brothers and sisters in Christ. For those of you who are here today and you would say, Pastor, my testimony is one of faith in Jesus. I can point to a time in my life where I turned from my sin to faith in Jesus. But if I'm completely honest today, I'm not doing a whole lot to look like my Heavenly Father. I've not in any way prioritized my relationship with Him, His Word, and I need to grow in my relationship with Him. I would never want it to be said of me, you don't look at all like your Heavenly Father. You don't respond at all like your Heavenly Father. 
you don't love the world around you like your heavenly father. Father, we thank you for your word today. And I thank you that we can know today with certainty that we're children of God, not because we were born in any particular place or country, born into a particular family, as wonderful as those things may be, but because of who you are, because of your redemptive plan in sending your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die in our place for our sins. It's based upon his righteousness alone that we as sinful human beings can be reconciled to holy God and made brothers and sisters in Christ, children of God, joint heirs with Christ. Lord, we love you today. We thank you for your great love for us, your mercy and your grace. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.